So uh, it's football finals time. Now I know for some of you that means very little uh, and uh, you're just, this weekend's just going to pass by with a big old yawn. Yeah, I get it. Um, but for others, this is a month, this few weeks is a moment of sort of peak excitement and joy for you. And uh, if you're not a football person, then I want to tell you there are Collingwood and Brisbane supporters across the country who are overjoyed this morning because they are in a week headed to a grand final next week. Um, there are Carlton and GWS fans who are just shattered this morning because their dream, and I know it's only a game of football, but their team, their dream is over for this year. And the truth is, whether you know anything about football or whether you care anything about football, all of us know what it is to have those moments in life where you feel that extraordinary buzz of complete joy, don't we? For some people, it's football. For other people, it's other things. It can come from family. You know, you have those, those moments when your family or extended family or some of your family are together and it's just, wow, there's just a buzz about that time. It can come from times with friends, sometimes the simplest times with friends, you know, going to see a movie together or, or just walking on the beach, but there's something about that time that you go, wow, there's something special, there's some kind of joy in this moment. It can even come up places like work. You know, for some people, work is like, oh, but there's sometimes there are moments in your job, in what you do, where you go, this is just a buzz. Like, I get, I get paid to do this, I get to do this, I love this. Sometimes it can be in uh, news or in a special event. Um, Ebony got, uh, I'm going to shout her out, Ebony got uh, an email this week to say that she's been accepted into the Certificate 3 for patisserie next year. Uh, you know, like for her, like it's just, for other people it's just an email, but for her it was just this moment of, you know, this is something she's been working toward for a long time and to get that email with the big green box that says, you know, you, uh, you've got a place in this course was super exciting for her. This kind of joy from, can come from being out in creation. It can come from something we see. It can come from something we do. It can come from being with certain people. And I wonder, how does it come for you? What does joy look like for you? You've got 30 seconds to turn to the person next to you and tell them what brings you joy. Go for it. Let's bring it back. Uh, just a show of hands. Did anyone hear something from someone else that surprised them? Anyone hear something that thought, oh, that's a surprising... Was there any of that? Sometimes there is. Sometimes someone says, oh, you know, someone down the front was talking about a puppy. Um, that is not my idea of joy in any way, <laughs> shape or form. That's like the opposite end of joy. <laughs> so, yes, that's right. Thank you. I prefer cats. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. Back on task. Back. Here's, here's the thing, though. Sometimes, sometimes there are things that, that bring us joy, that bring other people joy, that can surprise us. And one of the things that surprises many people is how many times the writers of the Bible talk about joy. Because for lots of people, when you think about joy and when you think about faith, for a lot of people, if you, if you ask them those words, they would say, well, church is boring. You know, church is, a church in faith is a serious thing. There's, there's nothing joyful about church in faith. Church in faith is about rules and punishment. 
It's about doing the right thing. And if you don't do that, there's nothing joyful about church. Church is about old people in suits. That's the way church was when I was a little kid. It was old people in suits. And there was nothing about joy in the way that I grew up understanding God. But you know the word joy occurs over 400 times in the Bible. Do you know over 400 times that the writers of the Bible use the word joy? Joy and happiness, excitement, however, what sort of words you want to put around it, is a theme that runs right throughout the Bible. It's a theme that, that begins literally on the first page of the Bible as God, the creator God, creates the world, earth and sky and sea and plants and animals. And if you've ever read the story, you'll know that, that at the end of most of the days, God sort of takes a step back. He looks at what is created and he says, what? It is good. There, there's something kind of good about the creation. And many of us know, the writers of the Bible talk about the same thing. There are things in creation that bring all of us joy, aren't there? And I'm not just talking about amazing landscapes and sunsets and things like that. The Bible talks about children bringing us joy. It talks about family bringing us joy. It talks about friends. The Bible uses joy when it talks about worship and prayer. The world is full of things that God has created that bring us joy. And the writers of the Bible see God, uh, see the joy of God all around them. In, in other words, the, the writers of the Bible see the creator in the creation. Does that make sense? They, 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 don't, they don't just see family as bringing them joy. Instead, the writers of the Bible talk about thanking God for bringing me the joy that I experience in my family. They, they see the creator God in all of those things that bring us joy. When they experience the wonder of natural creation, when they experience the joy of family, when they experience the wonder of worship, they see God in all of those things. They see God as the, the author, the creator of those things. And so when they experience that joy, they're experiencing something of God. They're seeing the creator in the creation. But of course, not everything in our world is joyful, is it? Even if you believe in Jesus, not everything is joyful. We live in a world that is wrecked by sin. Sin brings conflict between people, hate and anger and greed. Sin brings struggle between people and creation. Sin brings separation between people and God. I mean, just in the last few weeks, our news has told us about earthquakes in Morocco and floods in Libya. Violence and war continues in the Ukraine. You know that? Like it's not the first news, not the first story on the news, but there is still war in the Ukraine on a daily basis. A few of us from here went to the movies last night and watched The Sound of Freedom. It's a film that highlights just the horror of the sex trade, the sex trafficking of children particularly. And we came out of that film and we're just, I think I can speak for everyone who was there, we're just kind of wrecked. And you realise that we live in a broken world. 
Yeah? We prayed about the referendum before, and whilst for some of us the referendum is a bit like, oh, that's a vote that I have to do. It's creating a lot of tension and anger between some people, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but it feels like our world is always in a, in a fight between joy and happiness and goodness here and sin and conflict and hate. Both as a world, but even in our own lives sometimes, we can sort of you know, flow between one and the other, can't we? We have days when life seems great and it seems like our life is full of joy and wonder and goodness and other days when life just feels like it's hard work. And when conflict and uh, the mess of sin just seems to be sort of overwhelming in our lives. And just when you think that's the way that it has to be, just when you think that joy will never win, angels appear to a random group of shepherds one night on a hillside outside Bethlehem. And these poor guys are completely scared. And the angel speaks to them, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angels announce the birth of Jesus. That's the Christmas story, if it seems familiar to you. The angels announce the birth of Jesus and they say, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. There was something about the birth of Jesus. There was something about Jesus' life that would bring great joy to all people. As Andy Stanley, another preacher, often says, he says, if the story you've heard about Jesus isn't good news that will cause great joy for all people, you've heard the wrong story. How do we get that kind of joy in our life? Because I don't be you, but my life is hard. And there are some things that bring joy and there are some things that don't. How do I experience the kind of joy that the writers of the Bible are talking about in a world where there is so much that is not joy? How am I supposed to experience joy when my health is a struggle? How am I supposed to experience joy when my job is a stress and my boss is a, well, you know, a you-know-what? How am I supposed to experience joy when I don't have the money to afford all of that stuff that other people have that brings them joy? I can't afford to go on that happy holiday. I can't afford to buy that car that's going to bring me joy, the advert tells me. How am I supposed to experience joy when I don't even have a partner to go through life with? Or I do, but my marriage, wow. I don't have one of those happy families where we get together and it's just joy and everyone loves being together. How am I supposed to experience joy when life looks like that? Here's the thing. For most of us, when we think about joy... We think about circumstances around us that bring us joy. Right? Joy is something we feel when good things happen to us 
or good things happened around us. When my football team wins, I feel joy. When they lose, I don't. When my health is good, I feel joy. When my family's going well, I feel joy. When I get a pay rise at work, I sure feel joy. If things around me are going well, I feel joy and goodness in my life. There's a joy that I feel on the inside when things on the outside are going well. But the writers of the Bible talk about a kind of joy that isn't linked to our circumstances. Biblical joy isn't linked to what's going on around us. Instead, biblical joy is linked to God's love and his presence in the middle of whatever's happening to us. And that's a massive difference, friends. Biblical joy isn't linked to what's happening in our lives right now out there, but rather it's linked to a future destiny that we have in heaven with Jesus. And in that sense, the kind of joy that the writers of the Bible talk about, it's not a feeling, it's actually a decision. Listen to the way that Paul describes this decision in his own life. This is 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 4. As servants of God, he's talking about the group of people that he's with. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights and in hunger. I don't know about your life... For me, that is not the language of joy in my life, right? None of that stuff goes, here comes joy. (coughs) Jump to verse 9. We're known, yet we're regarded as unknown. We're dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, listen to this, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Paul's not, could you hear, he's not ignoring his bad circumstances. He's making a decision to choose joy in the middle of them. Can you hear that in the way he's describing his life? He's saying, this is how we commend ourselves. This is how we put ourselves forward. It's almost like he's saying, here's my resume. And it's full of a whole bunch of really painful, really hurtful, really challenging things. But in the middle of that, we choose joy. We will rejoice even when those things are happening to us that don't want to push us in that sort of direction. How could he do that? How how could he make that decision? And maybe more importantly for you and me, how can we make that decision? How can I make that decision? Because I don't know about you, but it would be pretty cool in my life if I could choose joy and if I could find joy when things aren't going well, wouldn't it? Is anyone with me? Like, that would be neat, wouldn't it? And here's the secret. Paul and the writers of the Bible experienced joy in the middle of whatever's happening because they weren't looking at whatever's happening. They had their eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul and and, and his supporters, they weren't looking at those circumstances. They knew they were there, but they didn't have their eyes, they didn't have their hearts fixed on the circumstances. They had their hearts and their eyes 
fixed on Jesus. They were looking at his love for them and his presence for them, even in the midst of those hard times. They were looking at the eternity that he promised he had prepared for them. That's what gave them joy. That's what made them excited no matter what was happening around them because they were able to say, you know, I, this, I'm not choosing to look at that stuff. I'm going to look at Jesus and what he promises me. And that is good all the time. That is positive all the time. And that is a reason to have joy all the time. Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi. In our, book, it's, in our Bibles, it's the book of Philippians. Philippians 3.1, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, don't find joy in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your health. Don't rejoice in your job. Don't rejoice in your financial position. Don't rejoice in your family and in your friends and in all of those things. Rejoice in the Lord. Because he recognises that Jesus is with us all the time. That Jesus loves us no matter what. Because in Jesus, we have eternal life. And so Paul says, uh, knowing that we have no eternal life with Jesus means no matter what's happening to you, there are good things coming your way. In fact, in the same letters to the Philippians, Paul writes this, Philippians 1.21, For me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's literally saying, life's good, it's good to live, but it would be better to die. Jump to verse 23. I'm torn between the two, Paul writes. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul's so convinced that heaven is real. He's so convinced that eternity is amazing that he actually can't decide. He's kind of mentally wrestling with whether it's better to live or to die. That sounds crazy, but that's actually what he's writing here. He's saying, if I die, I go and be with Jesus, and that is awesome. That is a massive win in my life. I'd love to do that. But I think God wants me to stay here. He says, I think God wants me to stay here for your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul's saying, if it were up to me, I'd actually rather die and go and be with Jesus because that is just so awesome. But I think God wants me to stay here so I can help you grow in your faith and I can help you develop the same kind of joy that I have in your faith. By the way, do you know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? Lots of you don't. He was in jail. He's writing all this stuff about joy. He's literally in jail. You get to choose where you will focus your attention. You get to choose where you will look for joy. You can look to the circumstances around you and you can hope that they're good. That's what most people do, right? Most people try really hard to control their circumstances in a way that will bring them joy. I'm going to look after my health. 
I'm going to work really hard to create a great family. I'm going to create some awesome experiences with my friends. I'm going to organise brilliant holidays. I'm going to try and get better jobs and, or a good job and, and better jobs. I'm going to try and earn more money because if I do all of those things, I hope that joy will come my way. That's how most people live. And you can choose to do that. That's what everyone else is doing. Or you can follow Jesus' teaching and you can learn from the lives of Paul and Peter and millions of people who've come after them who would choose to focus their attention on Jesus, who would choose to focus their attention on his love for them, on his presence with them, knowing that his love and his presence are with them no matter what's happening in the world around them, where they would choose, choose to focus on the eternal life, the eternity, the heaven that he has prepared for them and made available to them through the cross. And they'd say, I'm going to focus my life on that and find joy in that because I can find joy in that no matter how anything else is going in my life, right? And it's a choice that you get to make and it's a choice that I get to make. Where will you decide to look for the joy in your life? And I want to say, it's not that working hard to create a great life is a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try and create a great family or get a job that's meaningful or earn more money or whatever. I'm just saying that focusing on that as a path to joy is a really inconsistent way to find joy in your life. Make sense? I showed you that video from Thailand before and I've said before I've spent a lot of time in Thailand over the last 15 years or so. I've taken over 60 people to Thailand uh, on mission trips working with local Thai Christians serving in poor communities. The people that we work with and serve alongside, they're really poor by our standards. They don't have houses that look anything as nice as ours. They're, they're tiny houses, almost all of them, and usually with several generations in them. You go into a house and there's, you know, there's the family here and then there's grandparents and sometimes great-grandparents all sort of living in the same room. They don't have the sort of money that we do. Uh, they, don't, they can't afford holidays the way that we can. They can't buy the sort of stuff that we can. But anyone who's ever been in an environment like that will not be surprised when I tell you that almost every person I've taken into Thailand that way will say, the Thai people are so happy. They have so much joy. They don't have anywhere near what I have in life and yet they seem to have more joy than I have. Almost every time people come back from one of those experiences with us in Thailand and say, I wish I could have the kind of joy that the Thai people do in my life. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Whether you've been there or not, you've, you've all, we've all heard those sort of stories or met people who say those sorts of things. There's no secret to why that is. The people who live like that are choosing where they're going to put their attention and where they're going to seek joy. And maybe it's easier for them because they don't have all the good stuff in their lives that we have, you know. They can't look 
to great jobs and fancy holidays and beautiful houses because they don't have that. They might, maybe it's easier for them, you might say, because they have no choice but to look for Jesus for their joy. But the choice is still theirs and the choice is still ours. When we think about what Tide will look like, we think about what this church will look like. We hope that joy will be one of the characteristics of people in this church. And I don't be here, I've got the, um, the Who We Are card tied. It uh, sits in my study at home. Um, there's more copies up the back there. And it just talks about sort of our purpose, kind of the, the sort of church that we want to be, the sort of key directions we're taking. And I don't know if you've ever noticed at the bottom, but it says, we will seek to live out the behaviours of love, grace, generosity, inclusivity, hospitality, faith and joy. It's not an accident. It's our deepest hope that this church would be characterised by joy. When people come into this church from the outside, they would say, those people seem full of joy. And that's not because our circumstances are going great. It's not because we all have brilliant jobs, we all have happy families and we all have lots of money. But because we would be a church of people that would choose to focus on Jesus for our joy. To seek joy not in our circumstances, not in what's happening in the world around us, but to seek our joy in Jesus. In his love, in his grace, in his presence with us wherever we are, whatever's happening, and ultimately in eternity. Knowing that at the end of the day, whatever happens in your life, you win. That's what eternity means, you know that? Whatever, whatever happens in this life you win. You end up in a great, awesome place full of joy forever. That's the promise that Jesus makes us. That is the invitation that the Christian life makes to each of us.